Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Scott Harvath Podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Not much, just uh, forgot we were recording until you texted me about 20 minutes ago, so <laughs> it's my fault this time. I know, normally that's my move, uh, or I've fallen asleep and I, I can't remember, but yeah, no, we we might have a little lively podcast, because I believe we have Drunk Mike on the pod. Hey, whoa, let's, let's not go too far. I, I was playing 18 holes of golf just a few hours ago with the boys, and... They came over for pizza, two of my work colleagues, so uh, got a little loose, had a little fun, and uh, you know, three philosophers, man, I didn't realize that joint is 10% alcohol. Oh, I thought you were talking about uh, three philosophers golfing. You guys are calling yourself philosophers. Oh, well, I guess that could be our nickname. Now, you ever had Omegang, three philosophers? That is a good, good brew. Oh, yeah. Omegang does good stuff. What's the other one? Uh, Rare Voss? I like Rare Voss. Rarevoss is good. They do a Game of Thrones line or something. I yeah. Some of those are good. Some are hit or miss, but yeah. So Ooh. this is a, this has been a minute since we podcasted. It has. It has. I just flew back from across the pond. I haven't been too active. I need to post some of our episodes on the social media because, uh, man, when I was gone, you had a great interview with Christina of the CIA. I love that episode. Yes. Uh, we had a couple of... Uh difficulties with the recording on my end you know i was flying solo for the first time in a while i think i haven't haven't done that in a long time uh but we we were able to you know piece it together you did worked your magic and we had a great interview she was she was very good very nice very you know accommodating with with her time yeah really really thoughtful insights um we need to find more people like her to have on the pod it was it was a really nice interview right you guys had a balance of talking her career in the cia and some really cool things it sounded like she would do, but then also about parenting, because her book is about parenting and lessons she's learned as an intelligence officer. But then also, you really dug into her take on media, movies, books, and how the CIA is portrayed. And so I thought you guys covered a whole lot of ground. And in case people don't know what we're talking about, that is an interview over on our third No Limits podcast feed, The Thriller Podcast. So check that out. Be sure to subscribe to No Limits, the Thriller podcast. We also recently released an interview I did with Tyler, a guest we've had on in the past, to talk about The Terminalist, and we wrapped up the TV series. So over there we covered The Terminalist, The Gray Man, lots of more stuff coming at you. But here today, we are talking Scott Harvath. Finally. It's uh, been a minute. We I guess we, yeah. we did Rising Tiger. Coming really high off of Rising Tiger. Interesting. Get some got some feedback from uh, our listeners. They people weren't as as high on it as me and you were. I I don't know. Um, I really enjoyed that book, and very different. You can see the progression. It's kind of cool. We jumped all the way to the most current Brad Thor book, and now we're jumping back to his fourth book in blowback. And you could see the progression in both his writing and obviously like his headspace where he was at at the time. Um, yeah, not going to be as high on this book today, but we'll we'll get to that in due time. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about blowback with you, Mike. And sorry hey, if you're... I have a little bit of a lisp. I I've currently lost a front tooth, so you might have to edit some more s sounds today because my son <laughs> knocked me with his head not not on purpose, but like accidentally, you know, just the right angle knocked out my front tooth, which was already fake. But um, yeah, getting that work done. Oh man, I couldn't believe when you told me that story. Yeah. I... Feel a great episode, you know, lessons from the CIA and parenting, how to not get your tooth knocked out. You can ask Christina about that one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. This book, um, guys, maybe this is a good time. I've thrown a few back because I am, I'm not very high on this one. I haven't done my scorecard yet. So I'm hoping, Chris, over the next hour or so, you can convince me a bit on this one. And, and I don't know how much you liked it or not, but. I don't think it's going to rank too high. I wasn't a big fan, a lot of rolling my eye moments, and and I think you're spot on with how it's really cool to cover this book and this series of early Brad after covering Rising Tiger. There are huge differences, and Brad even told us when we interviewed him, his writing is a lot shorter, he's keeping chapters more concise, and you could see that in Rising Tiger, that 
does not happen here in blowback. There are a couple of decently long chapters and tangents that, I'll just put it lightly, did not captivate my interest and keep my attention. So I, I guess we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hope over the course of this next you know, hour and a half we talk, I will, you know, it's, I don't think it's quite as bad as what you, or at least what I, you've been texting me. Uh, there are points to highlight that I really enjoyed. And I guess, you know, we can just kick it off with, you know, Goodreads and Amazon has pretty good scores, 4.18, 4.6, you know, scoring pretty high with, with pretty consistently with his other work. And I think it's interesting to, you know, this is his fourth book, right? We did Lions, Banger, Coming Out the Gate, amazing book. I think you would agree with that. And then the second book, Path of the Assassin, we weren't that high on that. And then the book we just did, State of the Union, coming back with, you know, another banger. Like, I don't know if you would say it's just as good as Lions, maybe at times a little bit better. You know, it's a different style uh, than Lions. So, and then, then you come into this one. What I, I want to draw some comparisons, um, you know, as we did a whole nother podcast on uh, Vince Flynn. And to think back to his progression and his going back and forth. And then this book reminded me a lot of like Memorial Day. And not in the sense to like say that this, this is as good as Memorial Day. But if you think about and then also like combined with some other early events, in especially with obviously they're both sort of targeting the same villains, right? And this book also reminded me of like a, a um, oh, what's his name? A Scott, uh, Robert Langdon, what uh, Dan Brown novel. This mm-hmm. took to me as like an Indiana Jones style. Like let's 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 now put Scott sort of away from you know being the the military guy. I mean, obviously there's military action a little bit later on in the novel, but let's let's put him up more. Put him with again with a partner and way more. We're gonna go more fantastical, right? It's not just we're searching for killers or who kidnapped the the. Uh, the president we're searching for these nukes that could be you know sent by soviet russia let's come up with this crazy scenario in this disease that in the beginning you know only attacks uh muslims and and later on it's a certain type of, of muslims right and so i don't know it's interesting to, and obviously this book came out around the same time as memorial day right so i don't know like i i drew some parallels right because again mm. Am I completely not not catching you there? No, I don't know if you sold me on the Memorial Day connection. I think by now, though, you're right. Vince was hitting his stride. I think Vince, four books in and, and over the next few, kind of found a formula that worked for him. Uh, you know, Not a formula that made it like boring cookie cutter, but like his style. And right. I feel and I like Brad is like trying not to mimic that. Right. And trying to forge his own path. Right. He's he's coming up with new things. And and I think you're right to say this is an attempt at Scott in a new scenario. It's almost historical science fiction. Which, right, exactly. Like a different different style. Yeah, which is kind like, of the cool. last one was like a, almost like a period piece, right? I mean, it, yes. it's a set in present day, but you bring in all these characters from the Cold War, right? And you bring this idea of like the Cold War remnants coming back to life. So that's his take on a period piece. Whereas both of their first novels were the president was kidnapped, you know, like it's it's interesting to track the parallels between Vince and Brad, right? Between both their early on early novels. Well, I think at this point in Vince's career, four or five books in, he found his theme, and he was he was kind of sticking to his theme, his his topic and theme of what defines a Mitch Rat book and how Mitch operates was kind of being set in stone, and I think Brad instead of doing that is more experimenting. He's going off in different directions and trying different things. Like you said, Dan Brown, this reminds me very much of a Steve Berry book. I don't know if you've read the Cotton Malone series, but Steve Berry, every single one of his books is based on a historical mystery. And Cotton Malone is a bookseller. It's kind of cool that his hero is is, is a bookseller, former Department of Justice retired agent in some made-up the Magellan Billet uh, service. But as just a bookseller, he comes across all these really quirky, random historical mishaps, and somehow they're informing some big drama in the present. 
And I feel like Brad's trying that, where I don't think that's something Vince would really ever dedicate an entire book to. Early Vince, he was very much, the politicians are the secondary villains. I'm going to stick to that. Mitch Rapp is going to be doing something embedded with different commandos or different military unit. He's going to use his espionage skills of being able to read people and read a room, kind of getting into that formulaic, very thematic Mitch Rapp doing what Mitch Rapp does. And here, Scott is just totally in a new element. I guess it works in some ways, but the specifics of how Brad does that here with, and I'm glad I'm talking to a scientist because some of this Islamic science mixed with this mysticism and this zombie-like disease, to me, it went a little too off the deep end on the fantastical stuff. And and so, yeah, like I said, I, I don't think it worked for me, but I do appreciate the attempt at this Indiana Jones-style demons of the past being resurrected, ancient past, right? Thousands of year old, going back to Hannibal. I'm a historian, right? I really should should vibe with that just somehow. And also, I think Brad said he's less political now in his books. Yeah, this book I is very political. His younger political side comes through here, and reading it in a modern-day context, it almost comes off as a bit extremist. Yeah, I don't want to say anti-Islamic, but... In some ways, some of the zingers just are outdated, and and I'm not I'm not faulting Brad for this. Maybe he's just a you know, a, you know, victim of the time period. I forget when this book was published, but it's got to be short. It's got to be early two thousands, right? Early mid two thousands. So I'm sure it was very much of its time, but it just comes off now as it it doesn't sit right with me, and so that a lot of things in this book did bother me on that end. Right. I'll leave no, it at that. No, I, I, I'll get to that. But uh, I guess before we get to that, do you uh, do you have something for me you're forgetting to share? Well, yeah, you didn't ask me what I thought of this book. Because if you did, I would say, well, my thoughts on this book are best summed up in the form of a limerick. There once was a book called Blowback. And let me tell you, it's quite whack. An Islamic disease made me say, oh, geez. When the heck do we get to full black? Boom, baby. I'd help you out with that one. I got to thank you for that final line. When do we get to full black? You came in with that one to help me finish up the limerick here. I, I, I saw you, you know, we, we I guess, peek a little bit behind the curtain here. We, uh, we use a shared Google Drive to put our, all of our notes. And mind you, I, you, you mentioned that you... 20 minutes before we started recording, you, you started jotting down your notes. And so I saw you making your, your limerick. And as you were writing it, I was just like, uh, th- this will be the, and I was, I was searching all the novels for one that would, ri- that would rhyme with, uh, blowback and full black, full black is a really good book. So I can't wait to get to Great that book. as well. So it just worked. It worked. Yeah. No. Th- so I guess there's another comparison I wanted to bring up to early Vince and, and even early Brad that we don't, again, don't see in Rising Tiger as much, but just the ability to stay with a single character for multiple chapters. You know, at times that was something we critiqued Vince um, a lot for, just this, like, constant jumping around. And in this book, we, you know, we're going to get to the traveling heavy segment, which is, it's pretty, it's close to being Lines of Lucerne level craziness. It's extensive. Um, but also just the hopping back and forth between characters, you know, well, it, especially in the beginning, right? We we start off with, I guess they're setting the stage. So we cut to the mountain climbers and then, then where where one gets killed, right? They're the, whoever, the guy who finds the, the Hannibals, um, yeah, at the time, I guess we don't realize this, but the guy who, has, who found this disease, right, in the Alps. And then a year later, we cut to an, a secret assassin who's killing scientists. And then we cut to the Iraqi village where we get the, you know, our first glimpse at what this disease is. And then we go to Scott in the video, which I, I guess we could talk about, about that whole, you know, did that part of the story actually work for you? And this idea that, you know, that's how Scott has to like go on this mission because he's going to be plastered with, with this video, right? And then we cut to another scientist and then we cut to the politicians and then we cut to the white house and it was like in the beginning. And then I felt like the, once the story like stayed with Scott 
and maybe like went back and forth like every couple chapters to like a Carmichael or cut to the White House. Like then it wasn't taking me out of the story as much. And I get that he wanted to, you know, and like you said, so I think what might lose have lost you and might have lost other people, right? Is that by the end of it, we realize that this disease is not just for Muslims. You know, it's it's not or not the Muslims are not going to be the ones that, that live. It's an actual disease. Whether or not Hannibal actually had this disease, you know, this combination of let me just spoil it here. This combination rabies. of rabies yeah. and this this potent steak venom, which caught in perfect combination caused this like crazy. And I ha- I had known that actually that rabies cause like most likely like what people have historically said as vampires was probably just rabies like in you know kind of like a lot of things how things early on were misunderstood so they were you know um given names of of, you know mysticism so it's like a hook right and i feel like that hook of oh what is this so you know how is it only killing non-believers like you know what's going on here and i feel like that hook might not grab people might not grab everybody. That was precisely when I texted you. Just I forget what my first text was when I read that, but it was like, what the fuck? I was like, dude, come on. A, a disease that only kills Christians or, or non-Muslim believers. I was like, that is just a bizarre platform to be working off of. I guess in the last, what, maybe five chapters, it's explained in a different way. That's not what really happened. But that doesn't get me as a hook. That makes me just roll my eyes and be like, I really don't care what's causing that. It's just so, so bizarre. It's so outlandish. And it ends up, it was like holy water from this spring in Mecca. But it's not even that. It's just regular water that they put the disease in and they knew that only... Yeah, like, so in the end, like, everything that was set up is, it's not, like, there's a, a plausible, it's almost like a, a thing of Sherlock, you know? It's it, a MacGuffin, it's like, it, kind of. It, it, exactly. You know, it, and whether that worked for you or not is really going to make or break this book, you know? Because I feel like once you get past the initial setup and Scott begins, all right, um, let's hunt down, let's track down one, just instead of thinking about this crazy disease, it's just a disease, you know? It's just, uh, you know... Uh, something a bioweapon that scott has to find and you, you don't think about the actual nitty-gritty of it you know then then the the story starts to roll you know what i mean yeah i guess though even when it starts to roll and perhaps this goes back to you saying all the jumping around you know cut scene from this person to that person i i couldn't even roll with the story then because i was like ozan kalachka Nick Campus of the DEA. And there was a lot woman, of people in this that pa- just like yeah. way too many people. This paleo paleontologist and then this other person they have to call. And I was just like, "What? wait, who are they even going after? They're trying to recover the last scientist, a Turkish guy who right. was taken, who realized he was working on some disease, who contacted and was friends with this Jillian Alcott. A Westerner, uh, 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 she's English, but he's related to Kalachka, who Scott has worked with in the past, like this Turkin, a Turkish gangster guy. And then he calls on his DEA friend for help t- to put together a dossier on something for some reason that I didn't really understand. And then they run into five other people, and then boom, three quarters of the way through the book. They need Claudia Mueller back from uh, Lions of Lucerne, who should have never gotten cut in the first place. And so, oh, dude, I, you might the, the ball might have gotten rolling for you, and, and you might have had the patience to get there. The loose ends are just so. It 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 could be something if an author can put all these loose ends out there, and then pull them together in a really crafty way could could really land it could be a really really cool part of an author's craft to to pull those loose ends in a way that never loses you and when they come together boom they come together in such a really unique creative way and i think vince could do that i think scott i think brad got a little too complex here a little too in his head like this story is almost like a a spider web 
of who's who, who's doing what, who's motivated by what, that even when you pull it together in the end, even when those threads kind of, you know, come together, it didn't land for me because it was just too complex. If you cut out a couple of the characters or one or two of the storylines, it actually could have worked even better for me. I think it was just doing too much. Yeah, some at some point, you know, too much is, is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, at every second we're turning to not the same, instead of like, I don't know, just to keep going back to events, but instead of calling Marcus for everything, it's like he calls his satellite friend, and then he calls, like he calls Nick Campos, and then he calls Gary Lawler, and then he has, Gary Lawler like knows a guy who's in Riyadh, and then they're, you know, I even forget, I forget his name. He was a cool character, but like I forget his name, you know, he was in charge of like Saudi Aramco security. Yeah, you know, too many, too many side characters, it made for like convoluted and um, in the end, I don't know. There's, I guess, I'm drawing on like certain scenes I really liked. Like the, uh, we're we're definitely gonna get to them in terms of, you know, I, I guess it's probably like the core of the action, right? Is his interaction with uh, the assassin, which I, I I can't remember his name to say the Alamari or Adamari. Yeah, Alamari. Yeah, which is supposed to be the guy who he was supposed to tackle but he ends up tackling this fruit vendor in the very beginning right right um so halfway through the book we get the the showdown with the assassin i thought that was a, a crazy pull to like kill him off midway through the novel or i guess you know just past midway through the novel and then the at the very end we have the heel turn at the like, i thought the the storming of this castle in this swiss swiss city um or like monastery that, that was pretty cool and like the action there was 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 probably one of the better scenes once you brought in claudia you brought in like an old face right and then the the biggest probably down let down for me was the heel turn with uh osan kalashka in terms of like he's actually the mastermind behind yeah. everything like that was supposed to be this like big oh shit moment and it just wasn't for me. I don't know why. Maybe because you said, like you said, you know, it was just too many people. He wasn't well established. You know, I mean, he he was established in a, in a couple chapters in the beginning, but I kind of forgot about him completely. So yeah, yeah, it was kind of cool when Ozan Kalachka was first brought up, and Scott goes into a pretty lengthy discussion on how their paths have crossed. He was, you know involved in drugs and weapons and selling a bunch of uh, illegal wares. But then Scott learned to work with him and Scott realized he, they could kind of help each other out. And so, you know, their, their two causes kind of dovetailed. I think it was almost described as a friendship, more of like a yeah, working. Even though kind Scott of, was the one who gave him like the limp he has, right? Yeah. And did he give Scott the scar or? Yes, he gave Scott a scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But somehow through all that, they realized they need each other and it worked for a little while. And then I didn't care all that much about him, even though I just got this lengthy backstory. You know, when Vince gave you that lengthy backstory, you remembered the person. You sure. knew what they represented, even if they didn't get a lot of page time. Ozan is just one of those people. I, I He got a lot of page time, and I still didn't remember or care with the big reveal at the end. Yeah, maybe if he had been brought back in more often, you know, been more of those points of contact, so that and like been, you know, I guess he was the one who helped him get across the border from Italy. Right. Yeah, but he like he doesn't show his face again until he shows up with the helicopter and and shoots the the Aga, the, the freaking Aga Khan. <laughs> the, the Aga Khan is in this story, isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah. Then I was like, hold on, wait a minute, what is going on with that? And then the attempt at explaining the Sunni Shia split. It's like, okay, I'm here for a history lesson. I, I I read these books. I want to be more informed, but that wasn't necessarily the time and the place where I was hoping to be invested in learning a lot about, you know, medieval history, and then later on learning about Ottoman history, or even the discussion about the Carthaginians earlier and Hannibal. I'm like, can't we just pick a time in history? Like, sure. I got a whole yeah, thing on Hannibal. Almost too so, much, too much, too much research done. Right. Like, we're talking about the Roman Empire, and that's when this disease is from in the archaeology, which I thought was really cool. I like that was probably one of the, the coolest part. Yeah, I like Sotheby's when they're talking about the different artifacts and the breastplate and and Jillian is there to give this paleo archaeological background on it. So I was okay with that. 
But then we jump to Islamic history and the different caliphates. And then we jump to the Ottoman history because Ozan is a Turk and wants to reestablish Ottoman dominance. There was a little touch on the Crusades. I was like, we're spanning a little too... We're, we're, we're painting the brush strokes a little too big. And each time they're brought up, it's almost brought up with a a bias, you know, that the Islamic history was either wrong or brutal or vicious and maybe doesn't fit the modern world. It just had this air of, if you're going to do that much history, one, I think, pick one time period. The Carthaginian and Hannibal stuff might have been kind of cool with the ancient artifacts where you didn't need the Islamic and Ottoman stuff because clearly that's there for a reason. And unfortunately, I think it's just to paint them in a bad light, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it would have just worked if, like, these guys got their hands on a copy of the art, the art, Adish, I can't even say it, the, the book, right? The Adishastra, right? Adishastra, and they're, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's let's try to find this weapon and let's use it just because we want we want to, you know, we you, you could say that we want to establish whatever, but you don't need to, like, then the fact it was supposed to be a big deal that uh, the the scorpion, right, which is, you know, Hosan, has this one descendant who can claim descendantship from Muhammad, but also he's an Ottoman Turk. Like, that was supposed to be a big deal, and then, like, it just it didn't kind of landed. It landed flat. Yeah. I even forgot the Arthastra because I'm like, wait, that's an Indian script. Right. From way before anything about Islamic studies. So why are we co-opting an ancient Hindu text from centuries before by these Muslim Ottoman leaders, it was just another like weird connection that I had to do like mental gymnastics to try to figure out why would this even be a thing? What I thought was pretty cool though, I guess to, to begin highlighting some, some nice things uh, about this novel is like when they're like trying to tease out, you know, Hannibal and, and like how these different artifacts would come together you know, thinking about, all right, th here's Carthage, and then this guy is from India, right? Or this guy's from some other place, but they never have shown to be, you know, interaction. Then they had to, like, do, you know, the historical, you know, discovery or, like, deducing of, like, oh, this is how that would have came together, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea that, yeah, I was really digging the Hannibal stuff. This idea that Hannibal had, like, one of the first mercenary armies, right? He would just hire people. Um, right from everywhere and that that would make sense why there would be you know this guy from uh, what, did they even say like uh they had like phoenicians or is that, is that too far back i mean but, probably um, yeah they had everybody so yeah um i don't know how do we want to let's 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 start to i don't know so in the beginning what is there anything that stood out was you know setting up the story you know I, should we talk about scott's video that that puts him as public enemy number one or yeah. is, might put him as public enemy number one. Yeah. And, and right before that, I will say I was bought in, in, in the, the prologue, the archeological dig. I was also really bought into, it was Billings. He was one of the army guys who was sent in to that town, the village outside of Mosul, Iraq. Oh yeah. I was kind of bought into them on this mission and, and some of their dynamics, the different groups were talking, they were like, fuck B team. And, you know, uh, you know, you kind of felt like you were on the ground with them. But then they go yeah, into this village cool. and see guys strapped to the rafters and they're spewing their like this zombie disease and they're taped up or whatever. They're hoisted up on the rafters and people have to be turned upside down. So their their brain drips through their nose. So anyway, it was cool. I kind of felt like I was there. But again, it was just such a, a short scene. And then we got into the ridiculousness. Same thing with. The Scott chase, where he is chasing Adamari, I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like, Scott's chasing down this dude. He's beating him. He's going to get information out of him. We're going to keep moving. And then heel turn. He was an innocent guy. Well, not so innocent because he was hired to play a decoy for the terrorist. Yeah, it's just, but then the ridiculous comes up when, oh, the Al Jazeera cameras only caught the back of Scott's head and he can't be identified. Bullshit. Bullshit. He's going to be identified right away. And even like the president and the chief of staff and some other people, I get that the president didn't see the tape, but his chief of staff is trying to say, I don't want you to know who it is for plausible deniability, 
but then it's plastered all over the news, and everybody in the world has seen this. The president would recognize Scott, even just the back of his head. Like, come on, get real. And then right. there was a second time when cameras didn't catch Scott. There was, I think, in the department store, right, when he saves Jillian. And again, it's Alamari there who was going after her because he's, you know, rounding up these scientists and killing them. And again, video cameras didn't get Scott's face or from the back of his head, they won't identify him. I'm just like, uh, it, it just seems too coincidental and it's too forced. And just because you don't want Scott's identity yet, you have to write it this way, as opposed to me feeling like how it could really go down. Yeah, no, I agree. What did you think of the whole Carmichael subplot and like her, you know, obviously it stems out of this video in terms of she has a personal vendetta. She want you know, again, we're setting up this politician as the villain. This is why Scott, you know, again, is public enemy number one. He has to go on the run. He has to take this mission in the first place. Although I feel like even if he wasn't caught on video, he would still probably be tasked to find and hunt the people who are in charge of this disease. So, you know, you didn't even have to like even have him get in trouble with this video. You know, you could remove the whole Carmichael piece of this and it, the story completely makes sense. You know, you remove the fact that Scott gets caught, remove her as a character, or, or, you know, obviously like Scott has to do some mental gymnastics, has to do some tactical and mental gymnastics to like how he maneuvers and gets around. He can't just call up Lawler all the time. So you'd have to change that a little bit. But I, do you agree that you could just get rid of Carmichael and the story still makes sense? Or did you yeah, like that piece of it? No, I, yeah, I'll be honest, actually. I think I liked that piece more than a couple of the other side stories and adventures we went on. Maybe it's because it was such a close throwback or, to a Vince Flynn. I thought the way she was working both the CIA analysts to give her intel and the way she was being a complete bitch to her assistant and she was so dead set on taking down the president and getting whatever dirt and political – she's a political hack. You know, whatever she can to, to make her way into the vice presidency in the Oval Office I thought was really well done and, and actually quite interesting, particularly with another character I liked. Chuck Anderson or Craig Anderson, President chief Rutledge's of chief of staff. So I actually like that they were a little bit of a foil and leads to a really cool scene in the end where Craig Anderson is able to pull a trump card on her and basically force right. her out. So I kind of like that back and forth. I didn't mind it. I don't think that's where the story got too bloated. Okay. I, I'm getting the sense that you didn't like her character all that much. No, no, no. I'm not, not so, like that. Obviously, that's, uh, you know, uh, something that we've liked, you know, setting up the politicians as the main villain. You know, you could have her – I wonder if you could have set it up so that way she was involved with it. I guess, like, that's – what that was Rising Tiger, right? One of the, the, the second mm. – Secretary of Homeland Security or um, was not directly involved but, like, indirectly involved with the plot, right, against um, – with Scott and the Chinese and, and whatever – you know, would you have, would I have bought it more if she was like somehow involved with this, this, this virus? I don't know. But obviously well, she's, she's just, she's just taking advantage of, of the situation to, to, to feed her and right. that puts Scott in this, this hard position. So yeah, no, I, I, mean, I bought it. I, I was just saying like, if you had to cut something, you, you could completely cut her out of the story and the, the story still flows. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess so. Um, Maybe it was just George Goodell reading it. I felt like I was in a Mitch Rapp novel. And so the parts with her on the hill definitely made me feel very much like a Mitch Rapp novel with George Goodell there. Which which maybe – and guys, I'm sour tonight. Maybe it was the beer or maybe it was the 18th hole of golf where I completely ruined my round. Not even going to talk about that. I don't know. I'm coming ah. at this with some mood today. But yeah, maybe you could have had Ozan Kalachka or someone else blackmail her. Just to establish that connection or the CIA guy who's getting her the intel had to get in with some strange bedfellows like Kalachka or someone else, you know, from Al Qaeda to get this intel to draw that connection maybe a little closer. I guess I could have liked that. Yeah. 
That's funny you said that because George Waddell obviously narrated this one, or at least what was unscribed. And it it has this because I'm so used to Armand Schultz now. It had this uh, this Vince Flynn, Mitch Rab novel vibe. You know, yeah. it, it it was very interesting with that. I think I might have liked this one more read by Armand Schultz because it would have felt like a Scott Harvath novel a little bit more, which I think would have done it justice or or yeah. would have rang better in my ear instead of me like already on how many times in just these last few minutes have we brought up Vince and Mitch. I feel like part of that's because I heard George Goodell. Yeah, maybe. And if I heard Armand Schultz, I don't think I'd be comparing as much. And so because of that, maybe I would just enjoy the story more. Could be. Yeah. All right. So the story's set. Scott has to go figure this out. He heads to London. You know, all right. I guess this is a good good, good time to kick off the uh, traveling heavy, right? Traveling so heavy. So not only in the beginning, we are, we start at the cold, the La Trava set in the Italian French Alps, right? Mm-hmm. Then we go to Washington, D.C. Then we go to Lahore, where the assassination takes place. And then we go to Iraq in Asalam. Scott's not in any of that. Scott's in Iraq and Baghdad. So Scott goes from Baghdad. Then we cut over to Bangladesh where there's another kidnapping. The kidnapping of Amir Tokai, one of the main scientists this is about. Yeah. Then we go to back to D.C. We meet up in Greenbelt Park in Maryland. (laughs) Then Scott heads to Cyprus. Nicosia, Cyprus. First he heads to Cyprus where he, you know, then gets the lead on uh, Jillian Alcott. He then goes to uh, we we then cut to Athens, Athens where yep. where the assassin gets you know essentially he gets fired right and that, that's what sends him on this path to chasing Scott. Scott goes from Cyprus to London, London to Durham, UK, Durham, UK to Paris, Paris to Listola, uh, France, from Listola, France to Milan, from Milan to. Uh, this this Swiss town Capalago using Capilago the hang gliders to, or the yeah kites that was or cool yeah, that was really cool wild then from Capalago to Sion then from Sion to Riyadh and then we go to the outskirts of Riyadh and then we finish up you know Scott's back in 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 DC that there was a that cutscene in Michigan as well right there was with a random, the food with, importer with the food importer yes yes holy smokes like uh, that alone. Dude, it's too much, right? Like, is this just get? It's too bloated. Like, why Nicosia, Cyprus? Why is Nick Campos the DEA guy in Cyprus? Like, we've got cell phones, people. We got cell phones. We got internet. Two thousand six cell phones. Yeah, I guess they're. You know, I had my Nokia in two thousand six. I was I was doing the T. Was it T seven T nine texting? Whatever. What was it called? Nah, dude. That was that was that was way earlier. Come on now. You got iPhones uh, by like when the first one came out, two thousand seven or something. Two thousand seven, the first one came out. I didn't get one until two thousand. I was in college, two thousand eight. I got an iPhone three. This is too much travel, man. I think I had a razor actually in two thousand six, and I was oh, in high dude, school. The, yeah, the I, had, I had a razor. Yo, yes. razors were the thing for a little while there, weren't they? Yeah, and then they made a, a, a brief comeback like last year or two years ago. Yeah, with, that was weird. with the with the with the touchscreen. Yeah. All right, so all this traveling, I know we like the globe-trotting aspect of it, but would you agree it's it's just a little too much? Yeah, because while Loot Lions had just as much, if not more, every time we went to a new city, uh, we got ample description of the location, and I feel like the location in each place played a role, you know. In this case, besides the fact that, you know, he he's on the outskirts, so he's having to, like, that's why he has to find this random DEA guy in Cyprus, you know, and he also goes to Cyprus to meet up with Hosan. You know, is there is there another place he could have met up with Hosan? Probably. I guess this is, might be a good time to talk about Jillian Alcott. That's why he has to go to, to England to begin with, because that's where she is. And then that, she has connections in Durham. That's where we go to, that's why we go up, up in northern UK. Um, what did you think of Julian Alcott as a character? His, you know, another female duo sidekick to to help him. He even brings up comparisons in this book, both to 
to Meg Cassidy. Jillian to Meg Cassidy. They even go to like a, a the same place in in what was it Lake Cuomo where you know they stayed together with Meg Cassidy. And then later on, there's comparisons between Jillian and Claudia, right? You know. Yep. I think I just have to get used to this is a Scott thing. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's, gonna, a Thor, it's a it's a Thorism. It's a sure. Thorism. Yeah, he's he's going through these women. There's always going to be another sidekick. They're all going to have a different kind of quirk. You know, Meg was this corporate boss, but she was also a really good shooter. Claudia was this Swiss investigator who can hold her own and really could go toe to toe with Scott. Jillian is this paleo, what is it? Paleo archaeologist or something? Paleo paleontologist? Well, she's a school teacher, actually, but she got a degree in, in paleo, um, paleobiology, essentially. Yeah. So I kind of, they each have their own quirks, but, um, he's the Norseman. I, I guess that's all you could say. He's the Norseman. Yeah, this is a Thorism. I got to get used to it. I, I'm still sour that Claudia didn't stick around. I wish if I had to pick, around. I I would have picked Claudia to to stick around because she was probably my favorite out of the three for sure. We should have a, a new segment saying, you know, who we like of all the female characters in Scott's life. You know, who 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 do we wish Scott settled down with first? And it's it's Claudia. Well, I, we'll get to Laura later on. Sure, as, sure right um, to this point, and though, I think yeah. and I think she's probably. Would probably be on top. I don't know. It'd, be, it'd sure. definitely be an interesting exercise to do later on. But for now, definitely Claudia. Yeah. Sure. And Solvi's fun now. Surprising she wasn't in Rising Tiger, but um, at least there were hints that. Oh, and then uh, Asha was awesome in Rising Tiger. So it's a Thorism. The, the women are going to come and go. Take it for what yeah. it is. Yeah. Mm, eh, okay. Mm, doesn't sit too well, great with me, but it is. What it's it is. it's kind of like what. Um, it's a thing. You know, Jack Carr says that. James Reese is his alter ego. You could kind of think that. I mean, I, I even think Brad said that Scott is his alter ego. You know, like everything that that you know, because Brad is a family man, right? He has a, his kids. He's settled down. In, he's a writer. You know, and this is you know something that you know may, maybe early on this is what what Brad wanted to do. You know, just be the Norseman. Yeah, it was cool though. I, I did like the mall scene. I do like when in the sh- or the shopping center wherever they are yes. in, in a Harrods or something. And Scott's like, see that man over there? He's trying to kill you. And of course, he had to say, see that darker Middle Eastern looking man over there who's trying to kill you because that's he's obviously going to be a terrorist with that description. Again, it uh, one of those times where the writings does. He had a few like that, a few zingers like that. But anyway, um, kind of cool shootout scene. And then they get to this pub and maybe another Thorism in the pub. It's over pubs. over a meal and a pint. They catch up and they go through and rehash the plot. I think he's bringing Meg, not Meg, he's bringing Jillian up to speed on the events of what happened, but I think more so is bringing us up to speed, giving us a chance to pause, think back where everything's at. And that happens a lot with Brad, where we get these recaps of everything, these kind of synopses of what's going on and who's where, which sometimes help. It could keep you in the story, keep you updated with what's going on. But it happened two or three times here, which I think shows this book was getting away from even Brad. He knew he had to kind of recap things and remind everybody where we're at. Exactly. Maybe remind himself where he's at. And if you've got to catch up that many new characters with what's going on, you're probably getting a little too leggy, you know, a little little too off the path. So I thought it was a cool scene. And and this pub scene was very authorism of having this chat, sitting down with a meal and catching up. I also like the scene in Paris. You already mentioned that, you know, this meeting up with the artifact lady dealing with Sotheby's, uh, you know, she gets that, that obviously there's the interaction with the Sotheby's, um, security guards. Um, right. And then the, the scene, the next scene where they sneak back in, that was pretty cool. You know, like obviously bringing in the funk music, uh, they, they sneak into the adjoining building and the, the DJ's like, bedroom and, and drill a hole in the wall like, that was pretty cool D- to okay. find her dead and then okay. we, get, we get you know another interaction with the assassin it, it was it was kind of cool but <laughs> just another one of these moments they got to figure out how to get into Th- Sotheby's and like oh we just randomly wrote they live next to a DJ and his music was too loud five pages earlier because I had an idea to use the music as a cover to break down this wall 
that's the only reason the DJ was there because he, he, you needed him as a plot device. And then randomly, how do we get into this building? Well, give Scott five minutes. He's going to come back with a supersonic nail gun that is a concrete blaster. Like, what I just think of is like massive gun to blast through concrete that Scott just comes up with. is He literally is like, hold my beer, walks down the block and comes back with a literally a supersonic nail gun to blast concrete to get into a Sotheby's. Because a George Clinton record is playing so loud, you won't hear the supersonic nail gun that he picked up down the block. <laughs> Just, oh, what is happening? What is happening? Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It was cool, though. When like, he the nail pulls gun was out cool. that gun, I was just like, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. There's no way. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I don't know. It's it's a plot device, and he ha- it had to be there. It's a Occam's razor, right? Uh, yeah, but but then Jillian does kill uh, Alamari with the uh, what was that weapon? Like a halberd? No, it it was like a Sith. Um, yeah, a oh, let's 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 get you know after this they get to the we go to the Alps right and we meet yeah the what was the Sherpa or the climber's wife who has these artifacts still. We find out that this was where Rayburn. Scott's old friend, uh, who we just met in this novel, who was is involved with this somehow, and the description, um, making the trek, like going up the mountains, going down, we get like a whole like Everest scene where like you know she falls in and she she survives, like that was kind of crazy, and then Alamari is there, you know this this guy from the second chapter which Scott was was uh, chasing is now you know there to kill him and then. I thought, like you said, the Jillian killing him, like how she did that, that was that was pretty cool. I guess what I wanted more from this, right, they set up Alamari as this like crazy assassin, you know, who's really, really good, really, really highly trained. And I kind of felt gypped with him getting killed, like mid-novel. I mean, I didn't have a problem with Jillian killing him, but just like, I wanted them more like Chase, you know, I wanted, I, I, I wanted him to be more, not just the henchman, but to be like in charge, you know? Yeah, I'll agree. I like, almost didn't they, like that there was this scorpion mastermind who he reported to. Right. It would have been kind of cool if he usurped his master and then had plans to pull this off by himself in an even worse way, you know? Yeah, and then the scorpion ends up being Kalachka. Is that right? I don't even. I couldn't even yeah. track with it in mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, but, that's um, what it was. Yeah, uh, no, because we're, we're meant to think that the Aga Khan was a scorpion until right. that heel turn. That conversation where he was actually he saved Tokai right. and because he wanted to save his people, right? So that's right, where he was the good guy. So that was kind of a cool, uh, cool scene, which I guess comes in a little bit. You know, another part of what I liked here, going through these caves. I thought it was kind of cool when we returned to that the innkeeper lady in southern France, whose husband was the archaeologist, who was genuinely interested in the historical treasures and, and searching for them, and he loved this land. But then he obviously gets killed by the 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 scorpion and and the henchman. But I, I really liked the time we spent in the caves in this town, learning about this lady in this village and how they actually cared about it. Unfortunately, I think that gets lost by the midpoint of the book because there's all these new stories about the Ottoman Empire and the Sword of Allah and the disease. But I I did enjoy how we came back to those caves and we got to see what how the story started. Sometimes, like what happened at Rising Tiger is how the story starts with the hook, with that prologue, gets dropped. It was just prologue to launch a story right. that's not necessarily going to come back there. But I did like the payoff of going back to those caves. There was a clue there. Scott had to find it, and there was a reason he had to find it. And I thought that was kind of neat to to have that come full circle. Yeah, this again, like the Hannibal stuff was probably my favorite history dump we got. And, you know, we spent a lot of time learning more about that in the inn when he's going over the books, going over the notes, um, trying to figure it out, you know, we, we, you know, 
Brad puts all of his research into that he did on this into those chapters. And that was probably my favorite part of, of the history we, we learned. But it just surprised me. It came kind of mid book. Like it came I, early. I, right? I, I, I thought that that would have been like the culmination, like that them going to right. the Swiss Alps would have been like the climax of the novel and not the the mid midpoint of the novel. I hundred percent agree. I, I feel like that could have been the end, you know, the ending, if you will, because after that, like, why you also had to go to this castle where the Aga Khan was, and then why? I don't know. It, it's like was it rehashing lines of Lucerne after that, like? Remember, there was that funicular. There was like one rail car up this mountain yeah. in Switzerland. How are we going to get in? I, I I just kind of felt like after that, you're kind of reusing old material. So why not a little bit, a little bit? Why not stick to the the the, the French Alps and the historical stuff and the Hannibal stuff and make that the entire story of this book? I thought it could have wrapped yeah. up there. Yeah. All right. Let's pause. Let's pause for there today, and then we'll pick up right after that next week sounds good to me we'll see uh i can't promise if i'll be a little more positive then but um i guess we got the ratings to do in the final score so don't expect more positivity from me until we get to oath of loyalty next month on the mitch rap podcast and then i'll be back to my <laughs> jolly old self sounds good <laughs> all right we need to thank our patrons including our special operator sherry F. Our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us on thrillerpod.com or using Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, just let Scott be Scott. <laughs>